Hi, and welcome to the Just Riding Along Show. Hi, and welcome to Just Riding Along. It's Kenny. Episode 17. This one's brought to you by The Giving Tree, who says, I'll give you these nuts. <laughs> well, there you have it. All right, we're done. Wrap it up. <laughs> Wrap it up. Can I launch the show off with a rant? Uh, please do. Stop pushing dirty juice into brake levers. I I don't know how else to put it. I don't... I, look, I think every brake on the market, you can put a syringe on both ends of it at this point. But just... just I, I, I don't care what you do. Like, the, the only thing that matters is that you finish the bleed procedure as stated. The first step should be on a break that you have no history on or you know is smoked. Like, the pads are worn into the backing. The Everything is just hammered. The person's the proud of, like, oh, I haven't bled these brakes in seven years, and they still feel great. Yeah. I guess, where are you going with this one, Matt? You're, you're losing me. What I'm saying is, I saw some photos today on Instagram where someone had, like, the pond water Shimano bleed cup. And it's like, just, why did you put a syringe on there and force all that dirty fluid up through the lever? Like, just push it out the bottom and then bleed the brake. Like, just, just don't put dirty fluid from the bottom up. There's no reason to do that. So I mean, granted, I would assume that that fluid is just as dirty throughout the entirety of the brake would be my educated guess. Right. So th this is coming from, at least on my part, like this is why I cringe when I see this, because for one, it's so common that you see where someone has pushed dirty fluid up into a bleed cup. And on some occasions, you kind of have to do that if it's like really fucked enough because you just can't get all of the fluid to come out of the caliper. Like you just have to flush it from both sides. But... Well, what are you saying? You're gonna just like gravity bleed it and then put a syringe on there? Are you suck? Are you pulling it through with a vacuum? No, or are you like the, just pressing the lever a whole bunch. So, one of the the like the service manager at the last shop where I was, he they sent him to one of the Shimano tech clinics, where the guy said we need to have this in our instructions, but don't put a syringe on the caliper and push dirty fluid into the master cylinder because that stuff that's making the brake black or making the fluid black will gunk up in or basically collect in the master cylinder it will start to affect how the master cylinder performs and yeah there's some really really tiny there's some really tiny holes drilled in the master cylinder to transfer fluid from like the reservoir, if you will, into the actual like pressurized brake system. So maybe those get clogged up. I don't know. Yeah, I'm not sure. But that's the point is that there's some technical knowledge out there that you shouldn't do that that hasn't been spread around. And maybe it's not best spread around by Matt yelling into the microphone to not fucking do it. This is my party. I'll scream into the microphone if I want to. Um, but it is a good idea to go from the master cylinder to the caliper according to some technical dude at Shimano which I would trust more than just your everyday grouchy ass mechanic that works on 
Shimano brakes and likes to make fun of customers who have clapped out brake fluid. So, you know, <clears throat> that would be my, my suggestion would be put the cup on, put a catch can on the caliper, gravity bleed. I personally like to, if it's not a nice downward line all the way from the cup to the caliper, like if there's some kind this, of a... This jumped way off the rails. I know. If there's some kind of a loop in the hose just because of how it's mounted to the frame. Or the customer never bl- shortened their lines and they've just put some <laughs> loop de loos in it and zip-tied it together because I've seen it. I've seen it. Yeah, like it's sometimes helpful to unhook the caliper from the frame and let it dangle so you have a nice straight path for fluid to flow and for air to come out and whatnot. So... Do that, flush it, close it up, and then lever bleed it with the cup on it. And that's a pretty fail-safe way to bleed a Shimano brake without possibly pushing gunk from the caliper up into the master cylinder. But yeah, that was an odd way to start the show. First Kenny making a D's nuts joke and then Matt getting into a brake rant. That's just how it be. Yeah. So we're talking about brakes. I'm just going to jump right into what I've been doing. Did you actually put your fucking brakes on? I did. Oh! I put my TRP brakes on. It's crazy. So they're broken, which is a bummer. And the issue I'm having is, I believe, a rotor issue. So I have center lock. I don't like center lock, but I'm stuck with center lock hubs. And so I got the proper TRP 180 mil center lock big thick boy 2.3 rotors because that's what goes with those new trp dhr evos and they make i bedded them in everything seemed normal they make good power they've got a pretty good feel not a huge fan of the ergonomics of the lever i don't think i'm sure i get used to it like anything but yeah everything seems good take it for the first actual ride and probably second or third big braking point the after i let go of the brakes the brakes just continue to hum like it's rubbing on one side, but it's not like that all the time. As it cools off, it's totally fine, totally quiet. Like you can spin the wheel, like look at it. It's dead straight as in, by the way, rotors are, were a little bit bent. I had to bend those, which is kind of a bummer, but whatever. That's pretty par for the course. Um, anyway, everything's great. Once the brakes cool off, no rubbing, super even space on either side of the pad. Piston retractions, mm, I'd say medium good, not great. Definitely not like Shimano good, but pulls far enough away that it's not like alarming or anything. Anyway, second you get heat in them, what's happening is the rotor is bending, in my case, to the inside of the wheel. (laughs) So once it gets a bunch of heat in it, I guess because it's a two-piece rotor, because it has to be, because it's center lock, something to do, I'm guessing, with the aluminum carrier versus the steel and like that differential heating or something like that. I don't know. It's pulling to one side and enough so that it rubs hard on one of the pads. And that pad just makes like the worst SRAM turkey garble noise you have ever heard to the point where people are like looking around wondering what's going on or what's wrong. And basically I break hard. And for at least one minute after that, as I'm riding, it's just going like making horrible noises i'm definitely gonna sample that noise yeah not pumped at all and i've recentered them multiple times everything's fine and the front's doing it way worse than the rear so what i'm gonna do next troubleshooting step is i'm just gonna rip that rotor off i'm gonna throw an old sram one back on yes it's not the right width but 
if everything's minty, which pretty much in this case it is, I've got a pretty new rotor of like full thickness and it's a brand new set of pads. I don't think the pistons are going to come out far enough. That's going to cause a problem. Obviously it will be a problem as you wear a rotor and wear pads. Um, the pistons will probably come out way too far, but just as troubleshooting, I'll do that. Cause I never had that problem, uh, with my, I ran Shimano XTR brakes, the four pistons, but I ran center line center lock, like the nicer version. Uh, and those rotors were fantastic. Like they were great. They were pretty quiet. Uh, the wear on them was really good. Like everything was great about them. So I'm going to pop one of those on. And if it still does it, then we have another problem. It's probably like a caliper, you know, piston retraction problem or something, but it's very obvious. Cause I did a couple of test runs after the second time I went out to ride the second day after I realigned it again, just to be sure. And sure enough, same noise, like just horrible, like embarrassing to ride my bike. Horrible. Who's that and... dude on the e-bike with the noisy ass brakes? Dude, it's anyway, really disappointed in, I hope, just that rotor. You could always like. Everything else seems decent. Yeah, just swap the two rotors first and, and see if the problem follows the caliper or the rotor. Like just front to back swap them. I could, but if I'm going to do that, that's like twice as much work as me just putting my old rotor back on. So I'm just going to throw my old rotor on and see how it goes. Well, what I was going to say is put a six bolt rotor on with an adapter and see if that does anything. I could. It that's so. I love ghetto stuff, but not. I like ghetto stuff that makes people uncomfortable, but not ghetto stuff that's actually bad. I don't think that's actually bad. Like so, my just like a quick aside. My tour divide setup. I have center lock wheels, and just for the fact of like, if I do something and just totally fuck a rotor off sideways, I can go into any bike shop and get a six bolt rotor to replace it. Hold sure. on. What's yeah, the, what's your reasonable? Is your concern though the center lock to six bolt adapter, or is it the center lock to six bolt adapter with the rotor that's like thirty five percent wider than normal? Like what? Which one scares you? Both. So all of the above. You don't like the adapter. All of the above. Got it. Yeah, I don't like six little aluminum tiny half prongies holding all of my braking force on a very powerful, capable brake. I just I doubt it's going to shear off. I just don't like it. And they like flop around and yeah, it's so ghetto. All right. So well. yeah, that's my, that's my break story. That's what I've been up to. Other than that, I got two final rides in probably going to be the last nice weekend. And now we're pretty much full in winter. I think it's like 28 degrees right now. And it was mid sixties over the weekend. Yeah. Same, so I think that same was here. The, the last one. Yeah, we're 23 right now. It's supposed to get at river level down to 19 tonight, which means it's going to be damn near close to single digits at our house. So, yeah, it's going to be cold. Matt, what you been up to? You know, I uh, rode my bike a little bit, I think. I don't know. I can't remember. We recorded pretty recently, I think. Like, we didn't record on Monday last week. We recorded on a different day, right? Uh, yeah, something like that. I don't remember. It doesn't matter. All that matters is, is I thought I was going to maybe ride my bike outside today, and I didn't. Um, I rode the trainer a handful of times since we recorded last. I organized a bunch of stuff for my office area. Like, super organized a bunch of cords and stuff to make it all hunky pretty. Um, I made the most redneck thing you can imagine today um it's pretty wonderful 
I'll get to that in a second, but I uh, just did some chores and uh, bought some hay bales to make Andrea a better archery backstop, and then... I mean, you're using it, too. Uh, yeah, but you asked for it. I mean, you know, it's yours. You don't hit the target more than I do. What? I... I don't think that that was necessary. You know, <laughs> we're supposed to be a loving, family-friendly fucking show, <laughs> and that was just that was just a lot. So, you know, given that I have a bigger workload, it's just hard for me to find time to practice during the daylight. But yeah, I'm, I'm glad you just took me doing something nice and turned it into an opportunity to make me look like a pile of dog shit. So. What's really annoying to it me? It is a really cool archery setup. What's though. really like annoying to me is there. I can shoot guns really well, and I can't shoot my bow that well yet. I mean, I don't shoot the bow that well. I just most of the time get the arrows on the actual foam target. Just most of the time, like they're in the target, not necessarily in the part of the target where I was aiming. But you know. Yeah. So I got some straw bales. I changed the oil in two cars today. And then I, a while back, I changed the bench seat for bucket seats in my Nissan Frontier. So I had this extra Nissan Frontier bench seat. So I made some very quick, the, the, the seat brackets are all like gnarly and sharp and stuff. So they would like tear up the floor or deck or whatever. So I just made some little blocks to go under the 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 bracket mounting points and uh, my new front porch chair is going to be a Nissan Frontier bench seat. So, yeah. B-Y-O, bring your, yeah, B-Y-O. I like that there's still a seat belt on it. Gosh, I was going to make a really funny joke, and I can't, bring your own Copenhagen. That's what I was going to go for, because it's redneck. Um, but I couldn't remember the name of Copenhagen for some reason. So Skull. Yeah, Copenhagen's probably, like, you won't confuse Copenhagen with anything else, is I guess the reason I was wanting to remember that one. Okay. So between like redneckery, riding the trainer, and uh, wanting to rant about people putting dirty juice in brake levers, I don't really have much to talk about. I'm sure as we go through things, I might remember something or... But we'll... Oh, I got one more thing and then I'm done. Ribbed for your pleasure. ESI jumped the shark this week, and they released ribbed grips. And I don't even, I don't even know where to start with them. So I mean, if you're one of those people that rides without gloves, then I guess that would give you a little bit more grip. They're not ribbed the way you think they would be when your hands start to sweat because you're holding on to you know a non-absorbent surface like every other grip. I'm not saying that. Their grips are less absorbent than like a rubber ergon grip, but like, I don't know. I mean, grips get slippery when your hands don't have gloves on. So I guess they had to add some texture to it to try to pretend like theirs don't get slippery. I don't know. Yeah, these these are not ribbed for anybody's pleasure. <laughs> yeah, I don't understand. Like, like the ribs run parallel to the bar, which just makes it feel like you're holding like a pillow pack. Yeah. I, I don't know. They don't like make me angry or anything, but I never had issues. I always wear gloves, and their ESIs are super grippy with gloves, wet or dry. Yeah, I'm riding. I have a couple of pairs of wolf tooth grips and a couple of pairs of ESI grips. I don't ride with gloves, and it's fine. 
They work great. All right. Well, I have been working. Someone commented on my Instagram, so weird now that you work for insurance. It's like, well, yeah, I mean, you're you're not wrong, but, you know, I need a paycheck. And then someone else also um, asked on my Instagram page, why don't you work at Absolute Bikes anymore? That seemed like a cool place to work. Well, for one, I was incredibly burnt out. Uh, the staff, the shop was at the time uh, very understaffed and had no prospects on increasing the number of mechanics there. Um, so I was I was having a very hard time, and then all of a sudden there's this pandemic where, uh, given my past history with um, some lung health issues. Uh, I could potentially catch some illness and die or be disabled for the rest of my life. So when you're in a job where you're already just straight up not having a good time um, and that comes along, it's pretty easy to quit. So I did. Uh, Luckily, I had my tour divide savings to fall back on and then a fun job at a dairy. So, you know, I'm still pretty uh, being pretty cautious. So that's why, you know, when a relatively safe job comes along after the dairy closed, I jumped on it. And the person I work for is really cool. You know, she's a cyclist and former, I think, professional motorcyclist. She's really good on a moto. She's a fucking badass. So, yeah, fun fun person to work for, even though the job's a little boring in and of itself. But that's what I've been up to, pretty much. I've ridden some. Matt and I went squirrel hunting last week, which was fun. Um, Matt, was that after we recorded last time? Or it doesn't matter. No idea. Yeah. Squirrel hunting's fun. Oh, uh, the JRA YouTube channel is started up. And as I said, it is pretty much right now, it's just a playlist that's the kind of video journals I did elk hunting. Uh, I'm going to take the camera with me probably tomorrow when Matt and I go ride and basically just kind of keep the camera on me all the time and hopefully post some other interesting stuff up of riding and general fuckery. So you all should uh, check that out. It's, fuck, I don't even know the address for it. We don't have enough subscribers yet to pick a custom address. So right now it's just a bunch of like letters and numbers, but you can search for just riding along outdoor media and find us that way. Do you guys want to talk about new shit that we probably hate? I mean, I already talked about my grips. I'm just here for questions at this point, but I'm I'm along for the ride. Kenny, you could say ha- I'm just riding along oh, with you guys. Kenny, have you seen that uh, derailleur thing where they mounted a derailleur inside of a frame and put a bunch of pulleys on a bike? I did. It's like a high idler pivot thing with a derailleur inboard i didn't look at it in depth it had too many pulley wheels for me to be interested in it yeah same here i got to the part where it said you would need to buy 17 and three quarter chains to make the bike work and my eyes glazed over oh is that true like i didn't know i just made that up but it's believable because it looks like and again i could i'd I'd love to be proven also why why release this in 11 speed because Who's who's going to they've spend been working money on it that buy long. a new bike all <laughs> right. based around an eleven speed? They've been working the on it that long. Dumbest Kenny. thing. I guess so. Right. Yeah. It's just not 
I'm kind of the same way. Like, I just saw the number of pulleys and how just kind of overly complicated and heavy it looked. And, you know, I'll, I'll be more interested once it's a, I don't know, lightweight mass-produced product. I know that sounds boring. I mean, but... the idea the idea is neat. You know, if you get your bike up, or sorry, your derailleur up off the ground and the way it's kind of caged up, if you do fall over to the side, it's more it's less likely to get caught. I mean, I'm all about that. If you could figure out a way to get a derailleur to not be such a out there thing, that's cool. But it's kind of like trying to replace a chain on a bicycle. Whether people like it or not, a chain just works. They're cheap. They're easy to maintain. They're super efficient. All the things about them just make a lot of sense. Since you can break them apart, you don't have to worry about like, you know, split away frame parts to get belts through and all the other things. Chains just kind of work. So I don't know. I mean, I like the where the idea is going and I've definitely thought in my head about stuff like this. Like, oh, wouldn't it be cool if you could somehow get that derailleur up out of the way? But yeah, it takes a lot of compromises like this, such as a zillion tensioner pulleys. So Unfortunately, I think all the benefits of this thing, the, oh, what if you crash or this or that, that's all kind of out the window when now you have all this added complexity and all this added drag into your drivetrain system that you have to deal with now 24-7 instead of having a problem that happens once a year or once every five years for the average person to take that out of the equation. So, yeah. Yeah, and I, mean, I like the thought. I like the effort, but man, just we got to we got to find out a different way to do it. Not not this way. I feel like the instances of total derailleur destruction are honestly reasonably low. Like you see, you know, bent and broken derailleur hangers, but most of the time that's repairable for the price of a derailleur hanger or a derailleur alignment. You know, I again can just i i can testify for sure like i've been through enough drivetrains that if you're on a high quality drivetrain that already shifts really well they can take a lot of abuse like a whole lot like if you're on something like agree with that okay like sram 10 speed 2 by 10 mountain bike group we can agree that was clunky as shit and if you fucked up that derailleur it was fucked up but the stuff that wasn't that like shimano 2x10 eagle you know i think shimano 11 speed was not very tolerable to getting fucked up but it it started out not that good so you know like when they started doing the large the 46 tooth cassette that that derailleur just didn't handle it that well it was a bad shift and if you fucked with that derailleur that shift got even worse you know, so I, I think if you're starting out with really good stuff, it's really tolerable to getting fucked around with. So I've been riding mountain bikes a really, really long time. And I have maybe bent a derailleur hanger once in my entire life. And the second one was my bike sitting in a shop that somebody pushed over. Yeah. So, I mean, that's pretty rare. Right. I've had a few more than that just because I kind of learned mountain bikes 
at the same time I started writing at Silamo. So, like, I didn't have the wherewithal to, like, avoid stuff that would jump up and bend or break a hanger or a derailleur. So I think I've, in my cycling lifetime, I think I've destroyed probably three derailleurs and bent a few hangers. So, yeah. I mean, but that's in, that's since like 2009. So you do the math. Eh, cool, cool effort. Appreciate the thought, but I I don't think that one's going to take off, unfortunately. Right. Um, Okay, next thing, the Loam Lab Counterpunch. Have you seen this, Kenny? I have not. I am Googling now. It's like a little bar end, or it's a bar end. Uh, like It looks like a high-quality bar end, um, you know, like alloy, uh, like wedge-style bar end, and the outside of it has a little flat hook. It kind of looks like those plastic togs that people use on the inside of their bars. It looks yeah, like... so how is this not a tog? Well, this is metal. I think togs are plastic, and it goes, it is a, it's like a tog made into a bar end, basically, and I think it's, it looks a little, like, slimmer, maybe. Like, it's not really made to be weight-bearing, like a tog is made where you can at least kind of, like, you know, put your thumb on it and, like, grip a little bit, and that's made to just smash into stuff. So it's not supposed to be an alternate grip, it's supposed to be don't break your pinky on trees? Yeah. It's, that's like the, the salt, like, if you read any of the press releases, it's like the the person who invented that basically broke their pinky and was like, yeah, I should probably do something about that so I don't break my pinky again. Yeah, I will say I have hit my fifth and fourth finger very hard on trees more times than I've messed up a derailleur. Yeah, yeah, same here. I just wish to see a handlebar that has everything. You want all of the things on the handlebar. This bar's got everything. So would you put a tog on the outside of like like nope. the ergon bar and nope. grip? No, no, no. You guys are you start it you start with a Jones bar. Oh, okay. And Ooh. then Ooh, on wait, the, wait, um, wait, wait. Can we put hey hold on can we wait put a minute, wait a minute. This is my nightmare. Okay. Wait, you start with a surly bar that has a place for four bar ends. Nope. You you gotta let oh, me live. What my about life that here. bar that's got the extra bar out front where you can mount lights and stuff on? That's the Surly bar, or that's the Jones bar. Okay, and then you could have the double decker. No, like that one road bar. <laughs> no, hear me out, dude. This is gonna be worth it. Okay. Okay. You run a Jones bar, but you run your arrow bar, like your far arrow bar setup, on the front of the Jones bars. Okay. Okay. Do you then, put more arrow bars on it after that. Then. In the middle, like on the the closer section, you run bar ends that you point up for like an upright riding position, and those are spaced out a little wider. And then you would like use the arrow bars in between them. Okay. And okay. then you come out, and it's a Jones bar, so you've got the extra long ESI grips. Where somehow, when you're holding the grip, the brake lever is not even near your fingers. <laughs> um, you don't need brakes where you're going. So you run togs by the levers. And then you run bar ends, but because it's a Jones bar, your bar ends are like barely pointing forwards. So then you run like the counter punch on the end of the bar ends. That doesn't really make sense, but I'll I'll allow it. How does it not not make sense? You can't. The bar end doesn't. Oh, you're talking about like a bar end that has an opening on the end, not like an ergon, like a hook. 
I'm talking like I think he's talking like, about old school yeah. like profile designs, right. like the ones that like some crazy dude comes in. He's like, I need the rock bars, and I'm like, what? He's like, you know, the rock bars. They go on the end, they go up. You can sit up higher on a bike pad. Rock bars, and I'm like, I've never had enough meth to know them <laughs> as rock bars, sir. That's the kind of bar I've never is. in my entire life heard them referred to as rock bars. One man referred to them as that, and it made such an impression on me that I will never forget it. Okay. I do remember always lusting after the ones that were like aluminum and or titanium, and they were welded at like that 45-degree angle. Yeah, they this, just looked that's like the one, all like that's mechanical and, and fabricate Like they were just cool. Yeah, yeah. They were like the nice bar ends. No, I've always Back been... Back when, you know, you could get cook cranks and yeah. all that kind of stuff. <laughs> you know, I mean, I think these look these look good if you're one of those bros that's afraid of using... And it's funny, if you read the comment section on anything, it's like, man, too bad you couldn't make these slightly larger so they could be used as an alternate grip, you know? Yeah, it's like, too bad you didn't make a bar end. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, if you're a bro that is, like, super... I don't know, self-conscious about using a bar end. Sure, this is a nice, and it's it's inexpensive. I think it was like $35 Canadian or something. It's a nice little inexpensive insurance policy for your pinkies, sure. But if you want something that does the same thing, but is also functional as an alternate hand position, uh, there are a lot of those as well. If you're curious, there's a set of cook dog bone cranks 176 millimeter Ooh. hell yeah right now from denver colorado free shipping happy 727 dollars oh 176 God. happy little accident <laughs> oh man okay last thing on the list of new shit that we probably hate silka tie cleats they are f- half the weight of a standard brass cleat four times more durable and cost $85 a pair. I hear Kenny clacking uh, over there. I am clacking away. I am trying to find them. Uh, I guess that's cool. So here's what I don't understand. People think that titanium is some magic metal. But for the same size, it has worse wear characteristics than steel and worse strength than steel so i i don't understand that well it's like so if you're con- if you're constrained for example by like a bolt so a bolt can only be x size for whatever reason if you make one bolt out of even shitty steel and you make another bolt out of the most amazing titanium ever the steel bolt's going to be stronger for the same size it's going to be heavier and it can rust but yeah, it's not stronger or more durable. I, I don't understand where this has come from. Well, I think so. that's the place that... Uh, that's where tie is good. It looks good. It's lighter than steel. And it's still reasonably strong and can be made into lots of shapes and sizes, especially oh, I'm now I'm not that, saying that it doesn't have its place. Yeah, but yeah. like, same thing. Same for same. The reason you use titanium is because you can use slightly less of it because it's lighter weight. So I say, sorry, my bad. That's phrased very badly. You can make that same structure with roughly the same strength, 
but it can be lighter, but that material is then going to have to be thicker. So anyway, it, I don't understand why. Anyway, I think what you're trying to say is you need to use here. a larger volume of a lower density metal light tie. Like you can, that is you correct. end up using a larger volume of material. So when we look at standardized sized items like bolts or cleats, we may not be seeing the same strength given that we have the size constraint of must work eat with the pedally. Oh, see, I think what they're doing is they're doing this thing where they're, they clearly have a Shimano cleat here. Yeah, they do well, three maybe different they make ones. multiple versions. Yeah. They say, yeah, four times the life expectancy. What they don't say is compared to a brass cleat, brass is like balsa wood of the metal <laughs> world. So they, I, I assume that's where they're making the comparison. Right. So uh, anyway, I'm only looking at the Shimano one because that's the only pedal you should ever buy anyway. So I, I don't get it. You know, I have my only thing I'll say about it is Shimano cleats cost $20. And uh, I'd be really, really stoked with just riding Shimano cleats like I have for the last ooh, 23 years. But You guys are going to think I might be bullshitting you. I've never worn out a set of Shimano cleats. The only time I've ever replaced them is because I got a new set of pedals. Oh, and my I'm God. Like, well, Kenny, you sound like they that, come with that new one cleats. commenter. I personally change my cleats every six months. So... And that's not a bad thing. I'm just saying that they are unbelievably durable oh, in yeah. my experience. What, what size so, shoe do you wear? Uh, nine and a half. Okay, cool. So what I find is I generally want to change my cleats at like nine months or a year, right? Okay. Because I'm finding that like I landed weird and my foot just blew out. And I'm like, I want to tighten up my pedals. And I might tighten my pedals up a little bit. And then like... Two rides later, like, I blow out again. Like, in the air, like, a foot pops out. And I'm like, fuck, that's weird. And then I'm like, do you need to tighten your pedals up or do you need to change your cleats? But the reason I asked what size shoe you wear is, um, you know, I wear, like, a 12. So, from where my cleats position to, you know, the center line of my heel is longer than yours. So, I have more leverage. So, it's probably a little bit more sensitive to like a changing retention than yours maybe, or maybe you just ride with your feet straighter than I do. Who knows? Yeah, yeah. There's that no, too. I mean, that's, that's all very possible, and for sure. Like I've <laughs> noticed a difference if I have multiple sets of shoes and I've got one with brand new cleats and the other with like pretty worn cleats, but that still functioned fine. The way I have my pedal set up to be with those older worn cleats, when you put brand new ones on, they're like ultra tight. Yeah, and I was gonna say like I'm pretty sloppy at jumping. I'm not very good at it. And I just realized um, the hard way that my cleats are kind of worn. And that's the only way that I've figured out really is I jump something and my foot blows off the pedal. And then when I land, my foot slips off the pedal and my foot that's still clipped in pedals down and slaps me in the shin with the pedal. So, um, yeah, I've got a bump on my shin from that. But that's how I know I need new cleats. It's and they'll they'll feel a little like rattly too pedaling so but these cleats are fuck i think these were new 2 years ago like it's they're years old they're more than a single year old they're multiple years old so they last a very long time the only time. thing that's neat 
about these silco cleats is they do appear to be 3D printed from titanium, which is a cool thing, I guess, but it doesn't necessarily mean that they have to exist. <laughs> oh, can I say one thing that's really cool about them? Um, sure. If you were riding at night with your sh- and you like dropped your post and unclipped and like drug your feet on the pavement, the titanium would spark more. Yeah, you do get a lot of white sparks. In fact, I just ground the head of a bolt uh, that was titanium to get someone going for a SRAM lever. And it makes some crazy white, super bright sparks. It's kind of fun. Yeah, because the the mini truck, like bagged dudes, like where you bag your truck on airbags and like it'll scrape the ground, they would like bolt tie to the bottom so it would shoot more sparks. There you go. There you go. Andrea's pulling up questions. Yeah, um, we had one. I'm going to do the the note that came with my scope first because it's been sitting the longest. We have a couple from Patreon and one from Instagram too, but I'm just going to, we're going to do this until we reach an hour and then just stop. So the guy that sent the spotting scope to me, um, again, thank you very much. Um, I used that a lot, like a whole lot every day. Uh, to the point of the last day that I used it, I made myself uh, real seasick with it because it was very windy. Um, so thank you for sending that. And I'm sorry we have not uh, gotten to your note yet, so I'm going to get to it now. Uh, he comments on our good production quality to the bike stuff. It says, about a year ago, I went out to Vernal, Utah to visit friend, a friend who lives there, worked on telecom for oil pipelines so he knew a few places we went up a mountain in colorado called cathedral peak or sorry cathedral bluffs near a town called riley it was about a 10 mile descent he followed me in a pickup with a gopro most fun i've had yet on a mountain bike but about six miles The rear brake started making noise. It got worse and worse, and I could feel they were losing effectiveness, so I had to stop. The rear rotor was black, and you could smell the brakes burning, so my day was over. I have a 2016 Specialized Stump Jumper. The rear were 160 Shimano with resin pads. When I got back to my shop, they upgraded me to 180 and metallic pads. My question is, will this be enough for extended high-speed descents, as I have every intention of returning to finish? Sorry, his printer looks like it was running out of ink. I can't read the end of this sentence, but I think to finish what he was doing before. It sounds like his seal around his piston failed and was puking mineral oil onto his rotor is what I would yeah, say. Yeah, that's super, that's super possible. The other thing I've seen in Utah and other places that are really dusty, if you have your, if your pads and rotors turn black, it could be contamination for sure. Uh, but what will also happen is all that dust, when you get your brakes super hot from dragging them, uh, so you get your brakes ultra hot, and then that all that dust and powder centers itself into the rotor and the pad, and that's what will cause an issue. Ooh. So I've done it twice now, just an ultra dusty, powdery days doing like uh, park riding where I might be dragging my brakes more than I should be. And I just get stuff super, super hot. And then towards the end of the day, sure enough, I get that death squeak. And you can look at the rotor plain as day, and it's just black. Um, 
and you can sand your rotors, sand your pads to get rid of that like glazed surface and you'll probably be good to go. You know, in my case, I just wrote it five or six times after that and it just got better and better on its own as that <laughs> layer wore off and it was fine. So in my experience though, and if it was ultra dusty conditions, I would point my finger at the fact that you just centered a bunch of dust into your pad and rotor. There's not much stopping that other than riding style. And sometimes you can't help it. Like if you're just doing some ultra gnarly, super dusty descent, which there's a lot of in Utah, you might just contaminate them. Like there's nothing you can do about it. Yeah, I'm assuming since his brake worked after replacing stuff that it was not mineral oil puking out from behind the piston, but that definitely happens sometimes. Yeah, for sure. I've seen that, and that can turn stuff black as well. All right. Matt, anything to add? No? Okay. Uh, the rest of his question, oh, he has a couple of a couple more paragraphs on here. Uh, I recently had the chance to demo a specialized Kinevo SL, and all I can say is, wow, that thing impressed me. It would be completely ridiculous to own it where I currently live, Maryland and Florida, but if I lived out where you guys are, man, that would be quite a bit of fun. Uh, yeah, I think... You know, Kenny can vouch for that. I think there's two things there. Modern long travel bikes are pretty good for the most part. And uh, and you add a little <laughs> hint of e-bike on top of that, and they're really neat. So the Kinevo is going to be like mid to low 40 pounds and have just enough E to like have fun, but not be like going crazy fast or be lugging a bunch of weight. And it's got a really modern suspension on it. And yeah. It's going to be a really good bike. I'm very curious about the Kinevo as well. I've built a bunch and I've ridden a bunch in the parking lot, but I've not ridden one off-road yet. I haven't even ridden the new Enduro off-road yet, so I can't really comment on that. I'm sure it's great. Is it necessary? No, probably not. But yeah, the fact that you've got the E there makes lugging around all that suspension way more tolerable, which might be enjoyable. So as long as I guess the super slack geo doesn't piss you off in like slower speed stuff. I think it might be a really, really good bike. I don't know. So I'm, I'm very interested to try one. And as soon as I do, I'll let you guys know. I still love my Levo SL. It's just a great all rounder for Utah, 150 front and rear. It's ultra light. It's in the upper 30 pounds. Yeah. Can nothing but good stuff to say about it, but some people don't like e-bikes and that's okay. And he says, finally, I have a 2011 Forerunner, and I think you will find it is the greatest vehicle ever made. I can recommend a Kuat Sherpa 2.0 bike rack. It is aluminum and only 32 pounds. Also gets the bikes up high so the exhaust doesn't melt carbon rims. Okay, this letter is long enough. I love my bike stuff, but I think the chickens are going to take you places you never dreamed of. They have already. Especially when the rooster <laughs> attacked me today when I was going into the coop to try and clean poop out of the coop. So, yes, they've taken me places that I never knew I'd be attacked repeatedly by a, an, a greater than 10-pound bird. But here we are. Yeah, and Andrew... So here's the question. What's the better vehicle? A forerunner or the Tacoma? See, I like the forerunner. And I don't know if I... Like, I picked... When I knew I was going to shop for a new vehicle that was more off-road capable i had camped in both matt's honda element and in his mini truck and hands down if you're going to camp inside of a vehicle 
having a forward door is absolutely a necessity, at least for me. Like, I think crawling in and out of the back of a truck with a topper on it is just kind of miserable. I just, I don't like it. Um, so, yeah, like that's, to me, like that was the deciding factor. I think, you know, as far as performance goes, they're, they're equal. I'll just say that you can't sleep in a new Tacoma, so what's the point? Right, and also, yeah, like new trucks, the beds are like five feet long. That's not even long enough for me to sleep in. I'm five six. like, what the fuck? New truck beds are stupidly short, so... Yeah, like for for camping, like a forerunner is just the obvious choice. Unless you're one of those people that wants to put a rooftop truck on your tent or a rooftop tent on your truck and, you know, haul around the extra weight and pay the extra money for one of those things. But yeah, I love it. It's been a great vehicle so far. Do you want me to read the next one so you don't have to? uh... I am starting to get kind of hoarse. So we have one from Patreon. We'll, We'll save that one. Okay, that's fine. So, real real quick aside, I'm going to read this question. I'm going to preface this question with this. Andrea looks at me earlier. I was doing some, like, I'm doing, like, fall cleaning right now. I'm like, shit, it's going to snow soon, and doing anything is going to be miserable, so i got to get all of this, like, deep cleaning and reorganizing done now. And I'm in the middle of... He's nesting. Hard. So I was, like, doing (laughs) some, like, I was, like, deep into some shit, and she looks at me, she's like we've got this question about how do you find a creek? And I'm just like, dirty, dirty, and like smoke comes out of my ears. And she's like, like when your bike makes noise. Cause I'm like, how do you find a creek? You're riding along and there's fucking water. Like Jesus (laughs) Christ. Like, God, I know some of our listeners are dumb, but shit. (laughs) That was a joke. So, Jason has a question about creeks like your bike makes noise. He says, any chance you guys can talk about how you go about finding a creek on y'all's bikes? Like, what do you guys do to eliminate all possibilities? Sorry if you've already talked about this subject. I have a bike that's creaking, and I can't find it. It's driving me nuts. Um, all why, right. why does the so, pirate I'm, have I'm gonna a start steering off. wheel on his pants? <laughs> car driving me nuts yeah <laughs> <laughs> i'm gonna start off and say that finding creeks on bikes is the hardest thing that a mechanic can do for the most part so it's never going to be cut and dry it's hugely up to experience and also like the brands you carry like you're gonna know if you carry x brand you'll see a creek from it and you usually can narrow it down pretty quickly but if you're talking all bikes in general yeah it's pretty rare i'm going to start off and just say a couple things one is it's not your bottom bracket <laughs> it's just it's just not what it's if not it's your a goddamn PF30 bottom, bracket. bottom bracket so don't tell me that it's your bottom bracket the only time it's going to be your bottom bracket is if you have a metal on metal interface so if you have metal bearings that ride on a metal spindle possible that that's your problem other than that it ain't your bottom bracket it's just not so if you have any modern shimano bottom bracket it's going to have a plastic insert in it if you have any dub bottom bracket it's got a 
plastic spacer in there for that very reason. And I really doubt it's from the interface of the bottom bracket to your frame, unless it's press fit and it's an aluminum frame or tie frame or something like that. Very rarely is a plastic press fit bottom bracket as much as they suck. Very unlikely that your plastic bottom bracket in your plastic frame with plastic spindle spacers, it's not creaking. It's just not creaking. So please, please don't tell me that your bottom bracket's creaking because one out of 100 creaks that I diagnose are the damn bottom bracket. It's just so rare. So, so anyway, that eliminates one possibility. Watch, he's going to come yeah, back and be uh, like, hey guys, it was my bottom bracket. <laughs> <laughs> hey, it's possible. Bottom brackets have creaked. It's just people assume that that's what it is because it happens with the pedaling cadence. Uh, but suspension linkage, ultra likely. If it's your suspension linkage, it's probably one of your lower suspension linkages. So start there. That's where the most flex is going to happen. Uh, if it's on pedaling cadence, it could be uh, in order of what I see. It's Something like just a rear, a loose rear through axle, super common. Uh, something hub slash cassette interface related. Uh, headset, ultra common on the headset. And people just assume because it's with a pedaling cadence, because as you pedal, especially standing up, you're weighting the bar side to side in that same exact cadence. And it's your damn headset. So headsets, ultra common, uh, especially with modern headsets. Now that everything is like an IS headset, so you have a metal bearing just sitting on a seat that's built into your frame, and as that gets loosened or dusty, it's just going to creak. Yeah, that's what I got for you. So order of prevalence in modern full suspension mountain bikes, rear wheel, headset, lower suspension pivot of some kind, seat collars definitely happen, Uh, clamp hardware on your seat post, also super common. And then after you've exhausted every last thing, including your cables going into your frame, then look at your bottom bracket. Right. Yeah, I will just elaborate on what Kenny says because I agree with all of it. I feel like, and I think Kenny, you and Matt probably agree that as experienced mechanics, uh, we generally have, along with knowledge of just like, hey, if this brand of bike makes noise, it's usually this thing. Along with that, you have like a sound library in your head. And as soon as you hear it, you're like, oh, that's a loose cassette lock ring. And you take the bike inside and you tighten the lock ring and you test ride it again. And you're like, yep, that was it. Or whatever. Like, But you just kind of know like the frequency and uh, I don't know the correct audiology term for this. Like frequency amplitude frequency and amplitude of a certain noise is just in your head as just an experienced mechanic so a lot of times if you know if you roll it into a bike shop that has a mechanic that's been working on mountain bikes for like the past five years uh, that person might be able to figure this out just by like test riding your bike for 30 seconds so there's always that option I will say to figure out all of those things that Kenny was talking about, the important thing is to try to isolate each spot on the bike. I mean, it's easy to just like tighten your through axle and see if that works, but 
thing like things like the lower pivot on the suspension, if you can imagine like holding one handlebar facing, say, the bottom bracket of the bike, put your foot near the bottom bracket on the frame and put some pressure laterally on the frame to try to kind of flex the area around that lower pivot. And a lot of times you'll get a like a click or like a crack. But just so the other thing, that's, that's a really good, you'll, um, that's a really good point. So when you're doing that, there's a subtle difference though, between trying to like almost crack the frame in half. Right, right. Yeah. Don't try to do that. If you do it, no, I'm not saying you should break your frame in half, but I'm saying you can also, you don't realize you're even doing it if you're holding the brakes, especially, and you actually load up one of those pedals a little bit and now you're tensioning your chain. So now you're tensioning the whole drive line. So you're bringing other things into the equation. Right. So that's another good thing to do is just almost over the bike, but just, just leaned over a little bit, hold the brakes and try to load up that chain. Yeah. That's like and the that next can test. Tell you, yeah. That can usually tell you for the most part, again, you're usually wrenching on the bars a little bit, but that can usually take the headset out of the equation. Yeah. So like if you check the headset and it seems, I don't know, like it's not wiggling or moving or making noise, then what I was saying is you put your foot, like you can even put it like on the, um, if you're on the non-drive side of the bike, you can put your foot on the crank or like on the spindle basically of the crank to do this. And yeah, like you're being, you're putting some force there, but you're not like flexing your bike in a way that's going to damage anything. You know, like, you're not pushing any harder than you would if you're, like, pushing down on the pedal. You know, you're not just fucking stomping on it. And then if you don't get a noise there, like Kenny said, then, like, stand over the bike and wait the drivetrain and see if maybe something in the drivetrain makes noise. You just got to touch it. Yeah, because loading up that drivetrain is also going to put that rear axle into the equation again. Right. And, you know, then you can do process of elimination. Like, if you have two bikes put the wheel from one bike into or if, you know if you hear a creak when you load up the drivetrain put the wheel from one bike into the other bike and see if it still makes noise and if it doesn't you're like okay the wheel is the problem you know, if it wasn't a loose through axle the wheel's the problem you know then you yeah, have yeah. cassette so that, that's a that's a good point free hub you know you've you've narrowed it down so that's the thing is just trying to isolate parts of the bike until you figure out what makes the noise stop and restart and then replacing or fixing whatever it is that's doing that and not to bum you out but i have seen almost every single part on a bike creak at some point like direct mount chain rings you will oh geez yeah direct mount chain rings are actually pretty they're fairly common especially those cannondale cranks uh i mean there's just so many things so that's the hard part and again i'm not trying to bum anyone out here but there's so many variables and yeah, there's some common ones, but it could be so many things. And that's why you just have to have the experience and just look at a bike. If someone brings a bike into me and they're saying, yo, my bike is creaky and it's got a Cannondale aluminum SI crank with a direct mount ring, that's probably the first place I'm going to go after I tighten the rear axle just because those things creak. Yeah. I mean, start with the easiest stuff first, like through axles and pedals, like check and make sure your pedals are tight. Right, yep. like, and spin each pedal. Make sure the pedal spins some, but it doesn't just like, like spin. You know, like a million miles an hour. Because if it's out of grease inside, um, or if the pedal body is loose on the spindle, like that's gonna make noise. 
more so than if it's packed full of grease and reasonably tight. I have seen I have seen spoke crossing patterns make noise. <laughs> uh, cassettes to free hubs, loose lock rings, axles, uh, even uh, more of a click, but seams of aluminum rim hoops as they rotate down. Yes, that I've was a, that a Bontrager thing. Um, well, Specialized has had that issue too. It's not, I mean, everyone's had that issue when you have a bonded, non-welded uh, rim. A pin. So that's rim. really common. Yep. Uh, yep. Bottom brackets. I've seen direct mount chain rings, spindles to crank arms, uh, cracked inserts in carbon cranks for where the pedal goes in, also at the spindle. Every piece of suspension you could ever imagine. Uh, handlebars, stems, obviously headsets. Uh, CSUs on forks. Basically, if it's a part on a bike, I have seen it multiple times cause creaks. It's except unreal. for the bottom yeah, bracket. All the seat post related stuff. <laughs> except for the bottom bracket, it's never been a bottom bracket. <laughs> yeah. Um, so basically, just isolate and contain, and uh, you know, let us know how it turns out. Let us know. Uh, Maybe I'll give my two cents now. Oh yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Sorry, we've interrupted you like a lot. five really fucking sorry, times man. here, and then like you interrupt. So I just sound like I don't know how to find creaks. It's like Andrea like stole all my fucking thunder, and I tried to butt in, and she just kept stealing all my creek finding thunder. So I'm gonna jump in with some. Do you know how Matt finds creeks? He gives his bike to Andrea. <laughs> No, no, actually, <laughs> I think Matt and I are actually pretty equal <laughs> as far as how many times I've been like, I don't fucking know what the, what's making this noise. And Matt, like, looking at the bike and being like, oh, it's this and fixing it. That's definitely happened a few times. So here's the most important thing. You have to figure out how to make the noise. I don't give a shit what's making noise before you can figure out if you can fix the noise you have to figure out how to make the noise so that's the most important thing so they gave a bunch of like great ways of how to make the noise but if you can't make the noise every time you want to you won't know when you fixed it i i if you that's very accurate so that's the first thing here's the second thing to think of do not overhaul your fucking bicycle and take it out and go solve the creek because you have no fucking clue what you fixed if you clean like so so let's go like to bikes in general right like i think you should pull your through axles out and clean them up and maybe put a tiny bit of new grease on the threads every once in a while like the grease ends up smearing over the axle it gets all dusty and gross and it's just like they get sticky over time right like so if you pull out both axles and kind of like give them a little overhaul and then you like Pull your cassette off and clean everything and put it back together. And then, you know, while you're thinking of it, double check, like, you you know, it, I call it back halving a bike. You know, you split the bike in half and put it back together and do all the linkage service. And while you're in there, you got that new bottom bracket you wanted to install. So you install a new bottom bracket and then you clean your cranks and put them back into a new bottom bracket. And then... Oh, while I'm thinking about it, let me uh, clean the clamp hardware on my seat post. And, oh, yeah, I haven't overhauled my fork in a while. I'll just go ahead and pull the fork and clean up my headset bearings and then put this new stem on. Like, I'm exaggerating here, but the problem is, is, like, once you go and do all this shit and go test ride it, you'll be like, cool, but I don't know what made that noise. So it's also super, super annoying. It's ultra annoying. But you're like, 
I tightened up my through axle in the rear. Let me see if I can make the noise. Oh, I can still make the noise. Let me check my front through axle. Let me check my headset bearings. Is that interface all dry and dusty and gross? I call it the grease finger. You literally just smear some grease in the cups and drop the bearings back in, put it back together. She quiet. But I have a ton of service riding experience and people always thought I was an absolute dickhead if I was like in the bathroom and I would come out of the bathroom and like they would have hung a bike in the repair stand up front and be like, so-and-so's here for service. I would take the bike out of the stand and play with it for a second and then put it back in the stand. Because if you don't, like where I'm going is, if I didn't pick that bike up, I didn't feel that there was a little DU bushing knock when the saddle tried to lift the rear wheel off the ground and the suspension had play in it. I didn't notice that when I dropped it into the repair stand, the cassette jingled. I didn't feel the headset was loose because I would normally squeeze both brakes while the wheels were on the ground. Like that's all things that, and I promise I'm not like Kenny was trying to not bum you out. I'm not trying to cut you down, but if you don't do this all day, every day, it's going to be really hard because you just don't, you just don't know. And it's so, I know we all love bicycles, but it's so hard to learn all those things. It's the same reason that if someone's an accountant, they're going to type faster than I, you know, they, they can run a 10 key keyboard faster than I can. They can know where the documents page 17 line J box seven or whatever. They know that shit and they can blaze through things that I can't like, you got to realize that this is this for Kenny is. And for Andrea and I was our jobs for so long like a decade so when we talk about like i can touch the bike and know that it creaks like yeah but i I always made the joke at wheat ridge like between the time that i grabbed a bicycle and got it in the repair stand in my mind i already knew how much this was going to cost this is a hundred dollar repair bill this is a five hundred dollar repair bill you just knew just from like touching the bike and giving it a quick look the last creek thing is this one. With direct mount chain rings, I would love... I don't think anyone really smart would share with me why this happens, but I would love to know why this happens. Um, I still haven't figured out that, like, essentially riding in your 50 for a long time, where's your chain ring out in, like, a side load way? And the chain ring doesn't look shark-toothed. But you put a new chain on, and you pedal it, and the bike oinks. And I don't understand why. But I can tell you, if on the narrow tooth, the the wide teeth all have some beam or ridge or something that you know holds the chain on, and then the narrow teeth, they still have a chamfered edge. And if that chain, or if that tooth is worn from the tip to the base, all the anno is worn off. Like if it was a black chain ring, if there's still a speck of black on the end you might be okay but like if it's silver from base to tip that chain's gonna oink i don't know why it does it but it does it i would love to understand why more okay yep we've got this is a really quick one even though we're over an hour this has just been sitting on the uh, instagram in the instagram messages for a, a hot minute i was gonna read it so andrew's poor voice doesn't blow out so Graham has question for Kenny. I recently moved houses and happened to be quite close to a Fazoli's restaurant. 
I remember an episode where you gave this establishment high praise and described flying to Denver just to eat there. I'm curious. What's your favorite Fazoli's dish is? Glad the show is back. Graham from Michigan. So the best Fazoli's dish is ravioli with meat sauce. How many breadsticks do you eat? All of them. Yeah. And plus, like, if you so get, like, nice an extra bag that, to take home. Yeah, it's really good. I'm not, like, a huge sauce person on my normal food. So I just eat, like, a very small to normal amount of sauce on each ravioli. And then that leaves you a bunch of tomato sauce with meat chunks in it. And then you can lap all that up with your breadsticks. Solid. That's the dream. All right. Well, I think that's it for tonight. Uh, you guys ready to wrap it up? Show enough. Yep. Shut it down. Shutting it down. Thanks for tuning in to the Just Riding Along show. There's some shit coming out of your <laughs>